0: Uh, and in my, certainly in my family upbringing, the idea that intimacy was just emotional was, was kind of not mentioned. <laughs>
1: and it's, it's interesting,
2: actually, the way you said that word, because into me you see. Mm. Isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> Which is
0: what it is,
3: you know. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I actually haven't heard that. That's lovely, Lee. Yeah. Got,
0: yeah. Hello, and welcome to our latest podcast. I'm Julia Wellstead, and today I'm joined by two human givens therapists, Jennifer Broadley and Lee Pycroft. And we're here to talk about the importance of intimacy in our lives. Now, in addition to running their own practices, Jennifer tutors the human givens couples therapy course, and Lee is a makeup artist who also runs events to help abused and traumatised women to regain confidence and rebuild their lives. Hello, Jennifer and Lee.
3: Hi, nice to see you. Hi
0: there. And Thanks so much. Hi, Lee. Thanks so much for joining us today. Of course, I've spoken with each of you individually on previous podcasts about how to run a business, Jennifer, and self-image, Lee. Uh, So I know you've both got a wealth of experience and information to offer. So look, this is going to be a fascinating discussion. Let's get started. But actually, before we get on to our questions, perhaps we should actually unpack the term intimacy and explain where it fits into the human givens framework of our nine essential emotional needs. So, Lee, perhaps you could begin by explaining what we mean by intimacy.
2: Well, I'm going to focus on emotional intimacy, because obviously there are different contexts to intimacy. Um, And I would say it's a feeling of being deeply known by another person, of being able to show up without our emotional armour on, and also knowing another person to that degree as well. Um, I think it's a closeness and a warmth between two people that allows us to um, really have a sense of belonging uh, in our lives. Mm. Uh, and
0: Jennifer, maybe, yes, you, maybe you could set that in the context of our emotional needs.
3: Yeah, well, I often quite find it quite interesting where the um, emotional connection piece of the nine human givens needs um, sits in there. Because I wonder sometimes if people have enough attention, give and receive enough attention, do they feel like they've got enough connection? And it's not the same, is it? So emotional connection is about um, having at least one person who fully accepts you for who you are. Exactly what Lee said. Someone who, um, no matter how crazy your idea, they're going to say, I could totally see you doing that. So if you say, I'm going to set up a bee farm in New Zealand, they go, oh, you'd be amazing at that. It's not unconditionally accepting something, but it's just saying that they can see all of your potential and they are unquestioningly championing you no matter what happens. I think, it, I think it's
0: that. And also, I guess, sort of seeing you warts and all, seeing the, yeah. the good stuff, the bad stuff, the good days, the bad moments.
3: Yeah, I think and, it's, not,
2: it's not feeling like we have to hide a part of ourselves with those few people that we are truly have an intimate relationship with, you know, because I think there are different layers, you know, we can have connection with people um, in some context and they might not be, it might sort of nourish us to a degree but that truly intimate relationship, it's being able to expose ourselves for everything that we are, you know, and also allow someone else to do the same with us.
0: And, and let go of those different hats we put on through the day. Yes. work or raising a family or whatever. It's so, funny,
3: though, I think there is this assumption, isn't there, that this person has to be, you know, when people say emotional intimacy, it's really easy to jump to physical, isn't it? to jump to physical and go, it, then the person who I have the most emotional intimacy with must be someone that I'm, you know, is most yes. likely to be the person that I'm physically intimate with. And that's just not the case.
0: Mm. I, I would actually go further. I would say I've, I've been brought up to assume that intimacy is physical. Uh, and in my, certainly in my family upbringing, the idea that intimacy was just emotional was was kind of not mentioned. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting, actually, the way you
2: said that word, because into me you see, mm. isn't it? Isn't it?
0: <laughs> Which is what it is, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Cool. I actually haven't
3: heard that. That's lovely, Lee. Yeah, oh, Yeah. Into That's lovely. Me, yeah. Well, on
0: that note, let's start with question number one here. So question one is, do we all need emotional intimacy? And was the poet right when he said, no man is an island?
2: Definitely. <laughs> 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 I think, so. I mean, I think the, the, the drive for intimacy is huge um, and I think that at our core we want to connect with people and I think that interesting coming from the industry I have which is all around sort of beauty and makeup and image that how someone's image can then actually all be about their need to connect with people and if they have the right image and the right status they will be able to have that connection and then build up an intimacy with someone um so i think it's it, it really is a big driver uh for a lot of us what do you what, what's your thoughts jennifer
3: yeah i think i think biology has designed us haven't we to live in community mm-hmm. so to make sure that we do connect and there's, there's elements of safety of that as well but I, I love this thing about intimacy about the physical and the emotional i mean i'm fascinated julia that when you said lots of us for generations and generations don't have a language around emotions mm. so yeah so when we say intimacy we immediately think physical but actually this sense of um, safety and trust and being together and this and there's a, there's a there's a spirit of intimacy isn't there so if you say the room had a peaceful sense of intimacy mm. the room had it so the people in it feel familiar don't they they feel mm. Like they know you, like you don't have to um, break your A-game. Like it doesn't matter if you say something silly because people won't judge you, they will laugh with you. Mm. And I think that's the thing. It's it, So it's a shift away, f- it's this real emotional knowingness, isn't it, of who we all really are and that we don't have to bring the act or the that piece that we sometimes have to show up at work or parties where we don't really know the person and yeah. So I think intimacy is when we're just really, really being accepted by the people around you and you accepting them as well.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean I think it's just and it's and it's so sort of primal and important. And of course there's all the sort of health benefits that go with it as well when we feel when you're saying about feeling safe. Mm. I often sort of think about when when um you know I have had friends who sort of meet someone there's this rush to the altar because if they're married or they, their relationship goes into that context. Then there's that feeling of safety. I'm, I'm, I'm there. You know, I have that, that network, that safety around me and security. So I think there's so many layers to it, aren't there? But I think in essence, yes, we, we are not an island. And also that, you know, if you take it in the context of a wider community as well, when we have connection with, with other people, you know, it helps us understand ourselves more, you know, someone to sort of fire ideas off of to, um, tell us secrets to, um, to communicate with on a, on a deeper level. Um, I think that's what sort of allows us to sort of achieve um, emotional balance as well. You mm-hmm. know, if there are healthy dynamics like that.
3: Yeah, healthy. But you know what's really interesting about what you're saying as well, though, is this, this assumption that when you said rush off down the aisle and get married, mm-hmm. there's assumption, isn't there, that marriage itself will increase intimacy. Yes. And it's an assumption, isn't it?
2: It's total assumption, yeah. Yeah, because I think in a way that's when the work starts.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, or just this sense that I now that I'm I'm married, something about something about the word of a suggestion of of married means that I think it's just this yeah, it kind of plants this seed that now I can say anything and it's gonna be okay. Mm. And this person's gonna stay with me anyway. Whereas with the people that we're intimate with but not married to, mm. we still have to pay attention, don't we? Yes, We've got to yeah. pay attention because actually you don't want to railroad over anything. Like I think people who have emotionally intimate relationships are very respectful of each other.
1: Mm,
3: yes, so they're relaxed but also respectful because who's the guy that writes about John Gottman? You know the guy. Yeah, Gottman
2: Institute. Yeah, about yeah, yeah, it? yeah.
3: And So he says that the thing that makes long-term relationships work is friendship So if there's friendship at the core of a relationship, then it's it's much more likely to work than not and Friendship is made up of two things Fondness and admiration, admiration Yeah, yeah, yeah. And admiration. so so when those two things are present
1: mm.
3: um, And they might be present with people who so that's got nothing to do with marriage. No, Fondness and admiration, I've got nothing to do with that. So we can have fondness with friends or with family members and we can admire them for, it doesn't even have to be their physical achievements, it can just be who they're being. And yeah. that, that whole thing, I think, creates an intimacy because they're unconditionally accepted because we're fond of them and we admire them and they are, you know, in return, are fond of us and admire us too.
2: Yeah. And I think that's interesting in you, you know, this sort of friendship and admiration. And that those friendships, it takes time to develop, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what I think with emotional intimacy, you you might start with a connection with someone, but to develop an emotional intimacy and then, you know, a a physical or sexual, it's Mm -hmm. that building, the building blocks of trust, the building blocks of, um, you know, seeing each other in different environments and, 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 you know, under stress with different people. And it's those sort of blocks that build up the trust and and the friendship over the long term, you know, Mm
3: -hmm. uh,
2: that then we get the emotional nourishment from.
3: I wonder where that comes from then. Like, where do we create it? Like, where do you actually create intimacy in the first place? And is it possible for someone to feel emotionally connected to one person when the other person doesn't feel it back?
2: yeah I, mean, I think i think within um romantic relationships do you we see it playing out all the time i mean that's a sort of i know this question a bit later on um about whether we are in the in sort of cultural and social construct that we have around relationships and what we sort of we see a lot of in terms of the media um how that impacts how we relate to people you know how we um engage with each other and, of course, the whole, the whole area of um, digital as well, you know. So I think it's um, in order to really develop this friendship and admiration we're talking about and the deep knowing of someone else, we need to be with them in person. We need to have that eye contact. We need to be able to see someone um, and pick up on all the other um, nuances of the person in order to truly understand each other,
3: you know... Sure. It's totally making me think. I wonder about that. So uh, over the last, um, I don't know, 10 years, say, since there's been this increase in social media, um, I think I've made some connections with people who, women who have done a similar journey to my journey, I think. And they've become women who I would choose to email. So we've never met face-to-face. Mm. But we've we've had the most conscious and aware and kind and encouraging and inspiring conversations, sometimes literally for two hours at a time or three hours at a time, Mm. Um, where you come away feeling seen and built up and courageous. So you come away with that feeling and go, I've never met, these are, I would call them friends. Mm. I've never looked in their eyes. Do you know what I mean? Not face-to-face. I guess we've we've progressed from just doing it, um, you know, from just Skyping, voice Skyping onto face-to-face online, that sort of thing, but never met. And I feel like these women, I say women like there's lots of them, there's two of them, mm. um, are people that I would rely on if I wanted, if I was trying to figure something out, they would be on my list. Mm. Do, do you think, though, that... Because
2: it's two females and there is no, um, you know, there's, there's not, it, it's, it, you have the, that emotional intimacy and connection you're building.
1: Yeah, yeah. But if you put it
2: in the context of sort of a man, a, man, a woman, or a couple who are interested beyond mm-hmm. an emotional connection, that that's when it can, you know, become, the lines become too blurred. You might get that nourishment the way you are online. But then if you put it in a different context, it doesn't work in the same way.
3: Totally. Totally. I think I've experienced this a lot. So when you, when you shift a relationship from one platform to another, that's why for some of these, so for these two women, I'd be totally happy. I remember about three months ago, I was having a conversation with one and she said, you know what, I really should come to the UK and meet up. And I went, there's no hurry. Because I, I was thinking that if we shift the context of it and the dynamic that we have changes, I will miss what we have.
2: Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. And it's
3: like too much of a risk for me. I, I'm just like, yeah. do you know what? Could you just stay in the States? I'm in yeah. you know, New York. Please don't come to the UK. I love you, but stay there. Yeah. So yeah I yeah. wanted to change.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> obviously we've alluded to this already, but is a physically intimate relationship also important?
3: Yeah. So I think, I think that physical intimacy is an extension of an emotionally healthy relationship. That's what I think. But I don't think physical intimacy is essential to have emotional intimacy, if that makes sense. So I think if you are in that sort of relationship where you're where you're a couple or you, or, or a partnership, then physical intimacy can be an extension of an emotion relation, emotionally healthy relationship, but it's not an essential piece.
2: Yeah. You see, I, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think that equally
3: mm-hmm.
1: you
2: can have... A physical intimacy without the emotional intimacy—not that's not necessarily particularly emotionally nourishing—but I've definitely known people who maybe are into physical exchanges of intimacy, and they don't want the emotional intimacy. It's really quite interesting. Yeah. Um, I think what you're saying about you know a healthy, intimate, uh, emotionally intimate and physical relationship, which then just naturally goes into a sexual one.
3: Yeah.
2: Where you have that sensuality, and I think there's a there's something very potent about the power of touch and the power of that physical intimacy between two people. And just on a, on a sort of chemical level, what that can do for sort of reducing stress and, and bonding and on oxytocin and all that kind of thing. Um, but I think it's interesting that, uh, I've certainly seen cases where the, that one doesn't necessarily lead to another. You can have the emotional intimacy and you can just have the physical intimacy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ideally, You're going to have all
0: of them. (laughs) Yes, although, and we mentioned this in a previous podcast, I think, although I'm struggling to remember which one, sometimes we ask too much of one relationship. Yeah. And it's perhaps better to have, to get your emotional, you know, as you say, ideally you'd get both from one person, but, you know, the the importance of friendships where you can be very emotionally intimate, I think, uh, are are very vital, and that sucks, can sometimes take the pressure off a physical relationship that maybe has involved having children as well. I think definitely,
2: definitely, because I think that, that you know it's um, it's having all that focus on one person who can't possibly fulfil
1: mm-hmm.
2: all those different roles. Um, and yes, you might have a, you know an emotionally intimate relationship with, them and, a, and a sexual one but in order to um, fulfill your own needs as well, having those friendships and emotional intimacy with other people um, is hugely important. I think that often, you know, as uh, females may expect some men to engage in a slightly different emotional style than they sometimes do in some cases. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, women, the way we communicate and the way we de-stress through speaking in general. Again, I'm generalizing. Um, Certainly if I'm with my friends and I'm feeling stressed, I will talk a lot to them to (laughs) de-stress. Whereas sometimes, you know, my partner might not necessarily do that. He'll just want to go and be quiet.
0: Yeah. Yes. yes. Or Or they might go and play sport or, and again, we're generalizing horribly here, but there are gender differences which are worth mentioning there. yeah,
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Would you agree, Jen?
3: Oh yeah, no, there definitely are. It's just it's kind of making my mind go into like four or five different places. <laughs> but the point that you made about um, too much pressure on relationships often, thinking that because you have partnered with someone or shared children with them or have married them, that they now are required to fulfill this story in your head about what a husband is or what a wife is, or mm. what a partner is. Mm or what parents should be can often leave us, you know, seeking couples counselling or therapy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. She's yeah. really not that, or she's not that. And I think it's right, we've got these two different languages and yeah, even, I, I think I know more so men, I have to say, but not always, I know some extraordinarily emotionally aware men and some extraordinarily not emotionally aware women mm. as well. So I don't think it's fully a gender thing. But I do. I have often seen men where they they literally haven't got a language for when you ask how they feel about something. They go, "What do you mean?" And you go, "Well, well how do you feel about what I've just said?" And they go, "I, I don't understand. What do you mean? How do I feel?" <laughs>
2: do you think, <laughs> Jennifer, that, that some of that is is sort of to do with the way men have been? Some men have been brought up. I mean, it's just interesting because I think that. There was that BBC documentary that I think it's just been released with Duke of Cambridge and a series of footballers talking about mental health about men speaking up about their emotions. Oh yeah. And I thought it was, it was great because it was these sort of people that these men who you would ordinarily sort of see as being masculine and in inverted commas, you mm-hmm. know, and they're all in the changing room saying, well, you know, we, you know, for us to speak up in this environment about how we feel, would just not have been, have been accepted. And the Duke of Cambridge is sort of saying about how important it is for sort of men to learn how to be emotionally open, to be able to detect what emotions they feel and be able to articulate them. Mm-hmm. You know, do you think some of it is, is the way you know, culturally men have been brought up and, and you know, the type of family they've been in and that kind of thing? Or and indeed women, as you're saying.
3: Yeah, I think it's conditioning, yeah, definitely. So, and, and, um, and I think that recognizing what you're thinking, what you're feeling mm. um, is a skill set. And so I think it can be um, developed and you can build that muscle for sure. Um, and if you've, if you've never experienced it or never been asked for it or never been asked to show it, then, I think it's very, very hard when someone asks you because that part of your brain, especially when you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, if you're asking someone to use a part of their brain that actually there haven't been no neurons firing there for mm. many decades, and you're mm. asking them to use it, they're going, I don't even understand the question. Mm.
1: You know I mean?
3: And I think that's really hard sometimes when someone's skilled in one way and then and and one is not. Mm. And I wonder if the biology of you know, when we first meet someone and there's that just, um, you know, we're just kind of overwhelmed with, oh, I love him, he's amazing. <laughs> I, oh, I love him, he's amazing. But actually, we haven't really sat down and had conversations about, you know, we have the the, the kind of, the introductory conversations. What's your family like? Who, how do you, you know, what this, what's the stuff you love? Where have you traveled to? What's your work? How did you get into it? Where did you study? All of that kind of yeah. stuff, but it's not about what inspires you. Imagine most men. It's like, what really, really, really inspires you? Um, Can you imagine on your first couple of days? I have, you know, I think there are men definitely out there who can do that, who are kind of willing to ask something like that. And I know many women who wouldn't be able to answer the question yet. Um, But yeah, I think I think the emotional and physical intimacy gap. um, So we can be physically intimate for months and months and months, and then realize when that whole kind of um, euphoria. Mm. kind of fades that mm. we haven't really had meaningful conversations and in fact we might not put this person in our um you know on our list of people that we would feel seen by mm. Mm. So they wouldn't be on the list they'd be really great at many many things but we couldn't our, we couldn't have the depth of articulated conversation with this person that we might need to have to figure out our stuff because
2: joe griffin always said love makes us stupid <laughs> because it's a sort of high emotion, isn't it? Yeah. So, it, you know, clouds of thinking. If you, you jump into bed with someone, you become physical. It clouds the sort of emotional clear thinking as to actually is this person, a, a partner, is this person someone I can be emotionally intimate with? Is this person I want to, you know, have something long-term with? You <laughs> know, it's sort of, um, once those chemicals start firing off.
3: So do you think you have to always be emotionally intimate with a partner? Like, do you think? Do you think that's a? Do you think that's a requirement?
2: Um, for me personally, yes. Uh-huh. I think. Um, I think it depends. I mean, certainly, some female clients I've had mm. prefer the emotional intimacy in order to have the physical.
3: Mm-hmm. Some
2: and some don't care at all. <laughs> um, you know, they're just only interested in. You know, the the sort of the driver is more about the physical exchange, that energy. You know, um but for me personally, yeah. I mean I'm but then I'm very driven in terms of the sort of the, the, the essential needs, you know, the sort of hierarchy of them, then connection and intimacy would be up way up the top. You know, those sort of um meaningful conversations and that kind of thing. What about you?
3: Yeah, I was just thinking about that. About um and I'm I think as I have Kind of recognize more and more what my emotional needs are, and generally get them met, whether mm. or not I'm in a relationship. Mm. Mm. Um, then I think I seek that out less in intimate relationships. Mm. Not that I'm having a million of them. I'm, I'm, I'm in one for five years. I've been <laughs> just well. All, in 12. 12. all <laughs> of my intimate relationships, yeah. No, um, but <laughs> do you remember that thing? Um, about and this again this is generalizing by gender but women tend women need to feel connection mm. in order to have sex
2: yeah men need to, to
1: have sex to feel
2: connected to
3: have sex in order to feel connection yeah it's funny yeah. How, isn't it, how we seem to be generally wired in opposite ways
2: yeah yeah yeah, yeah totally it's like men go to sleep after sex and women want to talk
3: that's it <laughs> that's it but this sense of yeah this sense of um of intimacy it it definitely there definitely has to be trust there doesn't there
1: because i
3: think um i'm probably racing ahead on on questions and things but like what what is intimacy actually based on do you know what i mean so what where do we where do we start with creating it
2: well i think trust is is what is is a crucial part to it Mm. And I always think that it's it's like with all HG stuff, it's small steps. So if you're saying, well, how do I even create intimacy, how would I know I had intimacy?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, what would it look like? What would it feel like? Mm. And then what you're saying about friendship and admiration? Where, you know, who do you admire in your life? Who would you, you know, who who do you feel a sense of connection? Who could you start building a friendship with? And I think it's, you know, if we want more attention, which is part of the process, then give a bit more, reveal a bit more about ourselves. You know, in small in small um, doses, to a flex that muscle if we're not used to it,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and to um, to allow to open up the conversation and that that platform for someone else to be a bit more vulnerable
1: mm-hmm. and
2: to show a bit more of themselves
1: mm-hmm. and to
2: create that space. I think um, for that exchange
3: to yeah. start. So trust is is not something that is instantly there then is is what you're saying. You're saying that um, it gets built up kind of experience by experience as we show a little bit more of ourselves and then the person that we want this friendship with or to be emotionally intimate with can then have a confidence to share a little bit more of themselves. And that's the, that's the upward cycle that creates, that shifts from simple trust into at some point feeling like I do have an emotionally intimate relationship with this person.
2: I think, yeah, I think if you're going to sort of, you know, plot it, if you like, but equally, I've certainly met people who I felt an immediate sort of bond with and sort of felt I've almost known them from some other time where I've been able to share lots with them. It's just happened in a very natural and organic way. Um,
3: What do you think they have that other people that you've met don't have?
2: probably a natural openness i would say i mean i tend to be quite open with people anyway you know so i think that when you you know again like if you're open with people they will tend to be more open or if they feel that they're being heard and listened to um i think some of it can be in in, you know instinctive in a way you know
3: yeah yeah i think that's the people that i think i have felt most emotionally confident with most quickly are good listeners
1: Mm.
3: and good question askers yeah and good eye contact
2: yeah totally it's being present with somebody
3: totally yeah so they're listening and and then it's it's not a question of listening and waiting to jump in with a story that's similar to their own Mm. it's listening and then going a little bit deeper going well when you said that do you mean and they're not they're not necessarily therapists i think some people men and women have a natural inquisitiveness about them mm. learned to inquire mm. and learn that there are benefits to doing that as well because it, naturally you're going to get a different depth of conversation from someone um if you know how to ask questions and then listen properly and remain quiet and then give a little bit of yourself equally you can't just be a question asker and a listener yeah it's yeah, yeah. Childish, isn't it
2: totally <laughs> And it's that, it, it is that sort of being able to be still with that, you know, mm-hmm. rather than thinking of what you're going to say next, you know. So um, what does an intimate relationship look like, do you think? You know, because I think we see a lot of relationships develop on reality TV. This is something I know a lot about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily reflect true reality. And of course, it's speeded up and, you know, often scripted. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we stop comparing ourselves to these idealised portrayals? Um, I think this is a really interesting question, actually, because I've worked on reality TV shows. And if you think of a show like Love Island, and in the finale, 3.4 million viewers tuned in. Did they? I mean, this is just a phenomenal amount of people tuning into this show, yeah. I mean, it, it was the uh, most viewed reality TV show on the screen. Uh-huh. And I think, well, these are, there, there is a selection of people meeting up to have a relationship and when you talk about it being scripted you know very often you know if the the reaction isn't quite what the producers want they'll come back in and say can you just do that again please
3: (laughs) oh it's just so what's the what's the viewership then is it sort of um 14 to 30 would that be like the bang on yeah
2: okay so younger even younger some of them some of them around you know 12
3: yeah so what's really interesting is when you're saying something like reality TV, they're saying, oh, actually, could you just run that scene again? It's not real, is it?
1: No. So we've no. got
3: these impressionable teenagers and young people and young adults
1: mm.
3: who are looking at models, um, TV models that are supposedly reality, but are actually quite...
2: Cunningly cast.
3: Man-made, yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're asking these, um, you're asking these people to look at that and take some direction from that, going, oh, my gosh, so when I meet when I meet this girl, she's going to be amazing like that. Like the woman that I've just seen that she'll be, you know, she'll listen and she'll ask me questions and she'll compliment me. And then you kind of get to, and there'll be lots of eye contact and it won't be awkward and all of this stuff that we kind of see. And then when we do shift into relationships of our own, especially when we're younger and we're practicing, Mm. um, it doesn't, it doesn't meet the story, does it? It doesn't meet what we are, what we've been shown is supposed to be the right thing. And I think
2: also the the flip side of it is what works on reality TV is drama. Mm -hmm. And so it may start off with this sort of idealised portrayal, but then quickly, because that's not good viewing, lo and behold, uh, you know, such and such comes in, who's the ex-girlfriend, who's now going to whisk the guy away. And it's really interesting from a sort of, emotional needs perspective that you can see if you watch it. So I had to sort of binge watch it to do a radio interview a while back about
0: it. Yeah. And all
2: their people's emotional needs are being triggered the whole time. You know, we're going to give you status and we're going to give you, you know, this person you connect with and then um,
0: lots of attention and
2: then no attention. attention. And then we're going to wipe it clean. We're going to take it all away. Um, and then we're going to take your girlfriend away too. Um, you know, it's just, and, it, and of course the people are in a bubble and they're very emotionally aroused the whole time. But all the viewers are picking up on this. And it's almost like a collective consciousness. Everyone's talking about it. The advertisers are coming on in between the breaks, bombarding everyone with buy this beauty product, buy this product that will you know, make you feel a certain way. And then you can be like the Love Islanders. I mean, it's all about conditioning.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but Jennifer, you, you said something very key there that I'd like to pick up on for the next question, actually. You said when we're practicing... Mm. Uh, you know, so when we're teenagers or as young as twelve or whatever you, yeah. you, you yeah, said yeah. there, the next question is how can we build emotional intimacy into a relationship? And I I think we could interpret that as how you know how do we learn how to do this? And obviously, it's what teenagers are trying and
3: oh, they are you know, trying and lots actually, of
0: trial and error.
3: <laughs> yeah, totally, and it, and it is a skill set. So um, so I think it's something that we have to learn and be okay to make mistakes with as well. And in the mistakes, unfortunately. Um, it can be a little bit painful. Yes. So when we are ages, sort of twelve to, uh, well, I think probably all your life. But I think we get we get more skilled at it as we um, as we get older. Um, or think, we learn that we learn
0: that a failed relationship isn't the end of the world. Perhaps yeah, that's what we learn yeah. as we get older.
3: Yeah, and it's the difference, isn't it, between um, between guilt and shame, isn't it? So the guilt thing is. Um the guilt thing is I have a failed relationship, but the shame thing is I am a failure. Yes. Yeah. And those are two completely different things. Yeah. Um yeah. so and guilt we can recover from, you know, quickly, but shame is a much more deep-rooted thing when we say, I am this thing, I am this emotion, then then you know that's when we're likely to need a little bit more help. But no, the question about building that skill set, um, I think it comes with practice and I think it comes with watching it really being modelled really well. And this is one of the tricky things when we're looking at um, relationships around us that are not necessarily. Like I don't think longevity equals success, but we're looking at relationships around us. Lots of screen time, so we might pick up on um, comments from TV, from movies, from um, our social media, and they're not necessarily the healthiest models to look at. Um, And at the same time, you know, we've got relationships. partnerships parenting relationships which are not doing lifelong either yeah so when we're figuring out how to build this emotional intimacy i wonder if more people are seeing this modeled by friends and and, um, um family members maybe aunts or uncles or grandparents or you know cousins who so I've, I've seen teenagers, 14, 15 years old, who have friendships, who have an extraordinarily aware emotional language, like a strong, extraordinarily highly developed emotional language yeah. and they support their friends brilliantly.
0: It's a very, it is says a very intimate time that those teenage mm-hmm. years, and I can remember despite what I said at the beginning of this about not really having learned about emotional intimacy through family, I can remember that emotional intimacy with friends at school.
3: Mm -hmm. That
0: really actually sort of ended when a school ended. But during those teenage years, it was very, very strong.
3: I think that's, yeah, I think that's totally right. And I wonder if that's because we're kind of discovering what we can and can't see. Um, And when someone reveals something quite kind of meaningful about themselves, it might be our first experience of um, experiencing what privilege in a friendship means that this person i've been privileged enough for this person to trust me yes that they've shared that thing about about themselves to me
0: and then there's also the horror of someone abusing that trust and telling right. someone else or and the devastation
3: yeah absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. that's a lovely word
2: privileged that someone tells you something because that's it it
0: is that isn't it it is or honored yes Yeah. yeah actually that brings us on to the what's the negative impact of the lack of an intimate relationship or an or an intimate relationship that's been abused through mistrust i suppose i would also add to that
3: oh it's just heartbreaking isn't it It's just that whole, that whole trust thing being kind of broken down and and shattered. And and this becoming a story that you tell yourself is about you, whereas it's actually about the relationship itself. Mm. The fact that we kind of expect this perfection in, you know, when we've shared something and trusted someone, we expect that this perfection, it can last forever. And sometimes it does, and just sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it finishes in a, you know, we've done our time kind of way we no longer you know we no longer have the friendship that we had and sometimes it it breaks down in a very very dramatic way which can be painful it's just well there's a whole language every love song is just about that isn't it part of your heart Mm. I trusted you and you let me down kind of thing
0: absolutely yes Mm. yes Mm. would you like to add to that Lee yeah I
2: think I think the point Jennifer made about it becomes a story that we then tell ourselves it's about us you know, and, 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 you know, if if you're talking about, you know, say someone's, it it breaks down in a more of a catastrophic way or someone's unfaithful or whatever, we make that about us not being enough. Mm -hmm. I think it's about being able to sort of learn the skill set to have a more measured viewpoint on it in time. You know, that this is not, it's not final. You know, this didn't mean that you were not enough or we weren't enough. Um, you know, not making someone else's um, behaviour our own, you know, taking on what was their what was their issue. Um,
0: and either assuming it was our fault or... Yeah, yes. yeah
2: absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's a process, also, I think, isn't it?
3: Yeah, but Lee, I think also um, that this thing, assuming that when a relationship breaks down, it might not completely be our, you know, that we might not be a massive contributor to that too, so this thing about oh he was he, you know he was really difficult he didn't understand me and mm-hmm. and I wonder sometimes if we look enough at ourselves because that that's the thing isn't it that's where we grow is by saying well look so,
1: that from yeah. him or her
3: it's a I bit of both that stuff from him or her but also when I look back now on the relationships that I had in my teens and twenties and thirties and early forties I wasn't equipped to have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with the language and the awareness and the acceptance and the skills that I have now, and I'm sure there's a whole other level for me to go to still, mm. but I can totally see how I wouldn't have had a long-term relationship with me in my 20s. Mm. <laughs> and I think that's, that's the interesting thing. i like, dump her quickly, yeah. yeah.
2: Most of our growth comes from learning, comes through, you know, uh, going through challenges. Mm. Yeah. You know, that's how, you know, often we'll, we'll, we'll stretch ourselves. You know, so when, when there's a breakdown like that, I guess it, I'm saying not to take on what isn't ours, but also to be able to have the capacity and the bandwidth to be able to say, well, what was mine? Yeah. You know, where, where, where can I grow here? Where, what can I learn in order to take it forward in my life and, and if with someone else or whatever?
0: Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I think is very key uh, is not to consider a relationship that's ended a failure, we, see, we always label these things as failures, whether they're physical or emotional relationships, I think. Yeah. And uh, as I was just saying about those school friends of mine, I've, those relationships were very, very important to me. And the fact that they've ended isn't a failure. They were successful relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. we, uh, I think we're too quick to label things as, as failures. Um, moving on now to this, uh, who is most likely to suffer from lack of intimacy? Now, I've got some suggestions the young, the old, male, female, perhaps people out of their natural comfort zones, maybe they're in a new situation or country. What would you say to that? Of the
2: above. I think because young people, if you, you know, students I know at university, due to sort of, you know, especially first year students, I've found, mm-hmm. will feel a sense of, of isolation because people are in their rooms. Talking to each other, but they're not actually collaborating together. They're not joining together in, in the community sense. Um, yet, when they move into houses with their friends in the second year, then that tends to shift. Um, Equal, I think, older people because the, community, the sense of community and families is sort of much uh, further apart. Often, um, that can certainly impact a lot of the older generation. Um, I mean, the fact that I think we've said before, haven't we, Jules, about in mean, the last one we did about you know. We have a loneliness epidemic supposedly yes. yes minister and then why is that yes you know what, what's what's happened there
0: um, living alone working through media rather yeah. than real connections yeah all sorts of reasons yeah i think
3: yeah. also it's really i think also there's a real importance there that as well as this you know asking who's most likely to suffer from a lack of intimacy but also how do you recover from a breakdown like that is I think maybe one of the things that I feel has made me stronger and more resilient in, in things like that is to have developed two or three people that I feel I can trust entirely. So um, so actually, um, when one of those relationships breaks down or isn't there, I'm not completely alone you know. I not bereft yes so i I am not putting all this pressure on one person to be the person Mm. who i can trust as we
0: said earlier yes yes Yes. but in front within friendships yes that's right so if we've
3: got two or three or four of those people um and that's sometimes tricky to develop to honest, we we actually genuinely just need one um but if we do have two three or four we're privileged enough to have that then i think that totally helps um you know if we're elderly and one of those people dies we've got you know two or three if we're um teenagers and we um and we move home or like um lee said we move school or university then we've we've got that network to fall back on
1: yeah or if our relationship
3: yeah. breaks down we can um still go to the other people that we were we're not physically intimate with but still emotionally intimate with to ask for them to support you while you kind of build yourself up again, Yes. You.
0: And I, another aspect of a, a real close uh, friendship that I would that would be on my sort of list is uh, someone you can go to, however long it is that you haven't spoken to them, you mm-hmm. can still pick up the phone and there they are, the same. You know, you've still got that same connection. Yes. I can pick up when you left off. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And there's very few people with whom we can do that. Mm. Uh, and I, I think the other thing to mention here is not one of the questions, but I, I might have expected it is, you know, having a, a, an intimate friendship takes effort. It's a two way street. So I'm almost saying the opposite of what I've just said. But, you know, there, there has to be input.
1: Yeah. And,
0: and uh, you know, that takes energy and time and attention span. And uh, sometimes people feel they don't have time for that. But of course, it's so very, very important to do so.
2: So it's sort of stocking up the emotional bank account, you know.
0: It is a bit, isn't it? Yes.
2: You know, so you've sort of got plenty of plenty of coins in there. When you need
0: yes, to <laughs> that's right. Uh, moving, I'm just there's a couple of questions there. I think we've pretty much answered. So I'm going to move on to uh, question nine, which is: Is any connection better than none? What happens when we seek or find intimacy in the wrong places? Perhaps and and perhaps that becomes a pattern being attracted to a particular type of person um can that be bad for us
3: i think totally it can be bad for you yeah i don't think any connection is better than none but this is the thing about resourcing ourselves understanding what our emotional needs are and then finding um a variety of ways to have your security need met your control need met your status need met your attention need met all of these nine needs is when they can be met in, a, in an array of ways, then I just think we're, we're, we have, it makes us more resilient. So when one thing happens, it, um, it doesn't kind of break us. Um, and I just don't think that accepting any connection, yeah, I think when we're strong enough and we love and know how to love ourselves and get our own needs met, we're much less likely to accept or to tolerate a relationship that is, disrespectful or doesn't build us up where i think we're much quicker and more equipped to say do you know what i'm i'm worth more than that or yeah. i choose not to be in this or could you please just you know this is over or stay away whatever, the, whatever yeah, because it. there are there are
0: relationships that sap our energies aren't there and, and oh. Yeah. They are, you're right. They're worse than nothing, actually, I Yeah,
2: say. 100%. I mean, I think, you know, connection, if you're looking for sort of connection and friendship and you're saying hello to your neighbour, that's one thing. But if you're looking for, um, you know, I think in, 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 if you think about the sort of the swipe era of like apps like Tinder where people will meet and look to try and connect in that way um, and end up, you know, I certainly had cases where people were just communicating and really getting that need for attention met a bit of status and validation, um, never actually meeting the person. And it doesn't lead to anything. It's not actually, you know, really fulfilling in the long run, you know. So I think uh, what Jennifer was saying about when we meet our needs in a sustainable and healthy way through many different vehicles, we are far less likely to feel compelled to um, stay in a situation that is not in our um, best interest, you know, or does not um, help um you know emotionally or mature
0: emotionally and that kind of thing so here's one what should we teach our children about emotional intimacy
1: mm. <laughs> don't
2: watch
0: love island <laughs>
3: yes. i wonder if the same rules um kind of apply that it's, diff- it's difficult to teach your children about emo- emotional intimacy if you haven't gotten a level of awareness yourself isn't it yeah so, so this is the whole thing we were talking about earlier about having people who are not equipped because it was never modeled to them Yeah. But I think for me, um, and I have a daughter who's 16, I have, I have one child. I, I like to, I think, I think open conversation is yep. really important. I think being very careful to listen well and to whatever they say in whatever context, your first reaction is not to judge or to fix.
1: Mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. to listen
3: and mm-hmm. and ask and ask the next ask the next question well what does that feel like or um what do you think your choices are or
0: mm-hmm.
3: what would you like to do or what would you like to be the outcome you know helping them mm-hmm. to think about it mm-hmm. yeah and also as a parent making sure that we um we're very physical with so i i make sure that i hug my daughter often Mm. that we have a laugh that it's, it's okay for you know for physical touch to happen that we can um, hold hands or have a laugh or she can put her arm around me or um, or lie on the sofa with her head on my knee those things I like to make sure that those things are completely relaxed in our um, in our household because I wouldn't like to think that there was no physical touch in our household and therefore my daughter sought it elsewhere mm. you know she's seeking it elsewhere because it wasn't present in our household in healthy ways.
2: Mm, mm, Absolutely agree with that.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: Mm, mm, Absolutely.
0: This has been such a fascinating discussion. I just wondered if, is there anything either of you would like to add to our conversation before we finish?
2: I guess I would add um, that just to, you know, for people to sort of, one of the questions that wasn't answered was about the digital part. And whilst that can meet a need to a degree, it is that making time and going out and investing in people and in ourselves um, that, you know, builds up that sort of level of trust and intimacy with people. And it's, it's definitely something that is, um, when that is satisfied with ourselves, makes um, emotional and physical relationships that we go into that a bit easier, I think.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Rather than hiding behind the digital yeah. connections. Yes. yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, think,
3: I think for me, just ending on the point that I would like to, is that um, I, I guess I would encourage anyone who's having, you know, who's, who's finding emotional intimacy or physical intimacy tricky, or you kind of keep going around in the same circles, is to remember that it is a skill set. And if you don't have, um, you know, if you find yourself going around and making the same mistakes or being hurt in the same way or being disappointed or let down in the same way, I've totally had to... Ask advice or learn from other people in situations like that, and or to have, you know, I've I've experienced the benefit of shared wisdom. Mm-hmm. So I think if that is the case, it's totally okay to put your hand up and go, you know, I need a bit of a steer on this one. Because mm-hmm. for sure, our society is not getting simpler, no, more complex. So if you're finding it tricky and going, oh my gosh, why do I always end up like this? Or you're telling yourself that sort of story ask someone find a human givens therapist and and ask yeah come and come and have the conversation i
0: think that's so key because as well the other thing i was thinking was uh, every time we're maybe bitten by Mm -hmm. an intimate relationship whether it's emotional or physical going wrong Mm. there's a tendency to go slightly more into one's shell perhaps Mm. and not Mm. um not risk another relationship Mm. and that that obviously Uh, can end up in a very lonely situation which is part of this uh, loneliness epidemic
3: Mm.
0: and just getting out there and talking to somebody about it Mm. an hg therapist perhaps can really turn the tables on that and Mm. get you back up and running yeah yeah
2: totally
0: Well, listen, thank you so much, both of you. Uh, This has been a really fascinating conversation for me and I'm sure will be helpful to our listeners as well. So just to wrap up, today we've explored intimacy, but that is just one of our nine vital emotional needs as identified by the human givens approach. Now, if you'd like to know more about that, uh, any of the needs and the importance of getting them met, you can actually download, I've done a free ebook, which is called Human Givens the Essentials. And you can find and download that at hgi.org.uk forward slash free ebook. Now we'll put that onto our podcast description. So don't worry if you didn't catch it there. Uh, we really hope you've enjoyed this latest Ask the Expert podcast. There are many more in the series now, which you'll also find on our website. Uh, please do share it with anyone you think might find it helpful. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a good day. Bye for now.